0: Again, that's ebaymotors.com.
1: All right, it's time for the Wrestling Perspective podcast. That guy's a still, Lars Fredrickson. I'm Dennis Farrell. Guys, we have a very, very special guest this month on the Wrestling Perspective. Since we've toned it down to one guest a month, we decided to go big or go home. Nick Nesmith joining us a uh, former <laughs> I know
2: you're saying former monkeys lead man <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know Desmond?
3: yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey. Fucking I, I got an
3: I got an idea yes why why don't you just be quiet and, <laughs> I, and thank you and thank, thank god we got one of the the old monkeys I just want <laughs> I want to let you know that I one know of the surviving you're part of monkeys a... You're the last surviving monkey.
1: (laughs) I can't believe I did that. Try not to start swear.
3: GD. Wow. GD. okay. Let's let I'm I'm very sorry, Nick, but oh, we're gonna have to start I apologize.
1: Again. I don't know what happened. We're all gonna, right, let's do let me uh intro Lars. You do that fucking bro. dude.
3: Come on, <laughs> just look it up on Google, bro. Just fucking I did. Google it. Listen, make a little post-it note, put it on your fucking computer, I'm bro. A
1: professional, Nick. Oh shit. <laughs> and I'm a borderline idiot, so there's that.
3: <laughs> we got peter nesmith on the show today, yeah. <laughs> Take the last train to
1: Cartville.
3: somewhere
2: yeah.
1: All, right. yeah all right lars go ahead i i i'm but sitting this start, one out just
3: start it again start it again start it again
1: all right it's time for the wrestling perspective podcast where we never make mistakes that guy right there is a still i'm dennis farrell lars frederickson lars what a big show tonight
3: Uh, it's huge. I'm pretty excited to have uh, Nick. (laughs) We're not gonna get away from it, no, we're not. But you know what? Here's a guy that spent uh, the majority of his career up north. I mean, 19 years, Nick 19 plus, yeah, yeah, about 19 and a half. That's a long time, and and, you know, we're all very familiar with you, obviously. You know, you're at this new stage of, of your life, your wrestling career. I mean, I've been seeing you bounce in New Japan, TNA, obviously. Um, you know, obviously there's it's gotta be a new lease on life in a lot of ways for your wrestling career. Uh it, it really is. Um, yeah, I
2: uh, I didn't come from independence. Um, I didn't I wasn't like a legacy, so I've had a very weird go of it. So uh I just was a college wrestler, tried to let uh WWE go, Hey, if you Google my name, I'm the all-time winningest wrestler at Kent. And I only did it just so you could Google my name and give me a tryout for WWE. <laughs> so is as uh, much as I loved amateur wrestling, there was no – man, I I was Division One, at uh, Kent State University, not the biggest wrestling school in the world. But Division One. in our, our dual meets would have eight or nine people at them, maybe at the most. And usually it was uh, a couple of the um, girls sports that would come watch our stuff. So we would go watch their stuff if no one came to see them. So I was in this one world for 19 and a half years. Uh, just with WWE, and it was the greatest time ever. I had so much fun. I learned so much from some of the greatest. But all of a sudden, uh, maybe the last five, six years, I go, "Eh, I don't know how much I can grow here anymore, how much I can help people out without diminishing myself. So I started planning on different ways of, I've never been to Japan. I've never been to another company. I've never done an independent. How can I start setting up some blocks for myself to where it's not just someone uh, comes with an offer and I'll take it because I wasn't, you know, because I was doing WWE for 19 and a half years. It was how can I find the best possible mix of learning as I go and then still getting outside of my comfort zone, see if I can still go against people around the world that aren't in my bubble. And I'm just starting to do so. I think
1: when we talk about you on the podcast, <laughs> I think most of the time we bring up the fact that maybe in the last 20 years, you are the greatest seller that we've seen come through the industry do you at times feel like your selling was so good it was a detriment to uh moving forward in that company like you were just looked at as a guy that was like hey, I'm going to make everybody else look good cuz my selling's so good but you guys are missing this whole other aspect of who I am?
2: Uh yeah, for sure. And and that's part of it. And uh I I found so when I was first originally training uh, the timing is really weird. Real quick story off it. I got hired by WWE after my second tryout. And as I got in there, I'm 5'11". I I was uh, wrestling 165 pounds in college. I'm about 190 pounds. And three weeks after I get hired, uh, WWE sends some agents down to let everybody know from here on out for the next few years, everybody has to be 6'2 or 225 pounds or something. And I'm like, hey, am I? (laughs) Do I still work here? They're like, yes, you're grandfathered in. You made it in. So that was one piece of it. And then I was, and then at that point we were, I uh, was learning from Rip Rogers and Jim Cornette and it's teaching you and Rip Rogers is very open about it. He, he got fired about 37 times while I was in and out of OBW, <laughs> but also he was, he goes, I'm teaching you all the ways of when you get fired from here so you can have a living and make a living and be good at this everywhere else you go for the rest of your life. So I started learning the. You want to let people up in the upper deck know that what's happening to your arm like that all the way around Memphis, old school, let everybody know. And then you do the WWE style. And so as I had jumped into and embraced this, uh, like way in, like I want to learn five years and six months to catch up to everyone because of how I said earlier, I hadn't done independence. I'd only been a fan. So we learned I'm going hardcore for six months. And then WWE goes totally new thing now. Um, We're going reality based. And no more overselling, no more do anything. And I had already locked that into my brain a little bit. So I wanted to stand out and be different, but also focus on selling because I thought everybody wasn't really doing it. And uh, someone who I love to hate, Randy Orton, is very good at his job. And at the time, he was a young, I don't know, really young guy, probably fighting for the world title. And everybody in um, Independence or no OBW uh, we would watch him and go, okay, short black hair, black trunks, stone-faced, act like a hard-ass, don't sell anything, and I'm going to be the next Randy. And I went, screw that. I put my blonde hair in pigtails, pink trunks. When someone punched me, I flipped over the top rope and said, I want to stand out because everyone is doing it this one way. So I think all those pieces, also while I'm trying to learn how to wrestle, made it stand out to so where some people go, hey, you have good psychology. Hey, you tell a good story. Hey, you can put a match together. Hey, if somebody gets hurt, you can take over. You can do anything. Um, I think it stood out the selling the most because one, uh, people, no matter what they say and what the story is or what they believe, in the ring, there's still this thing in the back of your head where you want to look strong. And sometimes that's detrimental to the business. And I went above and beyond and said, if it's not my turn and it's someone else's, I want them to think they are that much better because I helped five percent more than anybody else would have and that, of course that did uh to a point where they go man we love watching you take Seamus's finish so you're gonna take it 500 more times and you go oh, okay great so that's you know upside and the downside you get 19 and a half years people start to realize how good you are and what you can do but also if you take a finisher better than everybody else that's what we want to see on Monday nights you know
4: I would say you rival Finkel probably don't you for <laughs> as long as you're with the Fed
2: uh I, I really don't know that's a good question uh that's really interesting I have no idea um uh, but yeah it's uh I don't know who else who else is up there
4: I, I'm sure there's somebody in the office he so, looks much but... better
2: than a tux than I do so I and uh <laughs> and I did so, uh get caught a little bit of uh him when we used uh catching his old school entrance coming out to welcome to the jungle. Uh, I got to be backstage and watch him do his entrance from the old days. So I got oh, a couple oh, little cool things. <laughs>
4: that's cool. I remember getting a call just one Sunday from him to be somewhere. And I was like, this is Howard Finkel. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I got a terrible Finkel, but I'm just
2: saying. I got that same phone call. Yeah. I'm, you're training. And uh, I went to my phone afterwards and it's a voicemail. And it's two And you're like, oh, my fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, he that's when uh, he was in the office, letting people know that they're going on, you know, uh, yeah. a dark match or going to Raw, okay. and he does it exactly like he's announcing Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yep. I yep. can't get, I can't do it justice. Like this is Howard Finkel, you will be debuting, <laughs> it's like, it's, and I saved that for eight or nine years, and one sure. time switched over to a phone, it didn't come, but I, I had that. Forever. Uh,
4: so another thing I got out of your what you surmised your career of nineteen years really quick, but with the selling is that you took a chance and you took a chance and you just stated. And I remember this version of OVW. Everyone looked like they were very much the same build. Everyone just looked like they shot people off the ropes the same, (laughs) just technically, you know what I mean? Everyone went Benoit style. I do this, I do that. Like just for lack of a better, that became the blueprint for people. And you took a chance. Did you take a chance just ballsy on your own? Or was it something like the urging of Rip? that, you know, from Rick that said, Hey, you know what, if you don't stand out, you don't try anything. Otherwise you're just going to be run to the mill. And like you said, I'm not six, two, I'm not this, I'm not that. What do I do?
2: It's a little bit of both because I, it's something, uh, when you do a bunch of homework for a lot of years and you figure things out, you're like, okay, this is starting to make sense to me. Here's, you're watching ways to have it work. But again, I was very new to the system. I was just a fan. So nobody in my family had done anything. I didn't know the ins and outs. I didn't know the formulas. I was just a fan. So I'm listening to this guy who's super crazy, but awesome. And you yeah. don't know what's good and what's bad. And he's telling you to F off. And he's also shaping you to be, to have psychology for the rest of your life. But it was something that I noticed. And I go, man, I, I definitely, uh, fought with it in my head. I go, I know this is going to stand out, but I also, it's either going to hurt me or it's going to have a bunch of guys here want to work with me, but also, I'm in a developmental, so wanting guys to work with me here, does that really translate to when you go to actual TV or raw or something? So it was something that I always thought about, and I go, screw it. I'm confident enough that I am going to work hard enough to be as good or better than anybody here. So if I can be as good and figure out all the other steps, and also when I take a finish, it looks like an MMA finish. I want people to believe that part, but also know that the rest of it was just as good or better than anybody else, all while I'm trying to figure out what you're doing. I knew I was kind of, you're not giving something away, but you're—it it is it is a little bit of a risk. Like, ah, I'm not going to look strong. And In the back of your head, we need somebody to be strong, especially if you're 5'11 and we're trying to find a world champion.
3: Mm-hmm. You're
2: not going to be that guy if you're just bouncing around. Uh, so you have to find some medium of this tiny little piece of somewhere to where you stand out other than the selling to where it's, you take over a match and you see it in your eye and you're like, oh, we can get behind this guy when he has his chance, but when it's not, he's going to make our guys look fantastic.
3: Well, one of the things I've been noticing, I mean, on the tail end of your 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 time there uh, in uh, the WWE, it seemed like you were the guy that they would call if they needed to make somebody look good or you, you were almost like, um, how would I explain um, you were you were like waiting in the wings we need to put put this guy over uh, let's get somebody really good that can make him look a million like a million bucks you're that guy that's not my question that's just you know but my question is this you're come out of this you have a reputation going to different companies you're doing the indies again how do you protect bill because you know, you go to some of these indie shows and you see guys kicking out of five pile drivers, you know what I mean? And then 28 fucking, or excuse me, I shouldn't swear, but 28, uh, uh, you know, P. D. Williams specials, Canadian Destroyer, Destroyers. And it's like, you know, that's obviously, you know, what you're talking about is the believability, the psychology. And I'm sorry, but a lot of that is lost in today's professional wrestling. How do you protect yourself? You know, are you are you like picking and choosing what you're doing as far as like, how can I if I can work with that guy or not? Uh that's a great question because that was a thing that I um I'm
2: close with Zach Ryder and he's been doing the independence for a few years and doing really well. And I go, man, I go, when I'm out of here, this is years ago. I go, can I do all these moves? Can I remember all these moves? Am I gonna take three power bombs and nip up and go, yeah, and then go into I go, I don't think that's for me, but also. I've uh, a little bit in the bubble of WWE only. You go when you go to a different show. if You go to a TNA or you go to an independent, and that's what their product is. It's up to me to be able to put myself into there and and find a way to adapt because that's what I did for 20 years. So, um, psychology wise, I, I do see things like that. You go, oh man, how how do I put myself in this situation? But also, you can do a point where you do have that equity built into you to where I can have my style of match still adapt to whatever company I'm in at the point at that time and go, this is the product that this independent is giving. Am I going to adapt to it somewhat and then still show you all the things I can do? Absolutely. Uh, but I had a real issue. Man, I go, I'm used to doing my thing, laying there, slowly pulling myself up, getting to a point where you counter these things and, and I'm really psychology based. And a lot of things aren't, and that's totally fine. Uh, but some people are doing much like me. I was trying to stand out by selling or have uh, pink tights or pigtails. Some people see all these moves happening and go, if I can take one more than that, then I could stand out. So I, I totally get their point. Uh, but psychology is lost a little bit. That happens. We, I, I, I blew it all the time in New York anyway, too. So uh, – It it is a way to, I I watched and said, okay, my first, I'm only two or three matches in at this point, Like Right now talking to you guys, non WWE, one independent and one one TV taping. And, uh, even then I go, okay, there's eight minutes. Does this audience want nonstop action? Do they want to see what I can do? Do you want to see how I can react? Can I still lead and help somebody out when, uh, I'm the one getting the win and I'm the one on on the trajectory towards the top. Can I also give back just enough to have them stand out? So whether it's a one-week, two-week, four-week program, did I make this young guy 5% better just for being out there with me? And that was my goal, and so far it is, and I believe it's working.
1: You know, That's perfect because that kind of leads into my question where – uh, I, I assume you being up North, a lot of your presentation, your in-ring uh, moves and whatnot are dictated to you where this is what we want you to do. This is how we want you to wrestle. Now, Nick, on the independence, how much different are you, do you feel like you are going to be tomorrow, the next day, next month, next year, than the <sighs> Dolph Ziggler presentation we got from New York?
2: Uh, it's so I've, I've been planning this for a while. So all I've, you know, i said that i've adapted blah 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 but i've been planning it out to where i have the psychology i'm able to do a little bit more and with, with uh wwe a lot of the times especially the last maybe two years i was there um even a two segment match would be three minutes a commercial break in three minutes or something along those lines so that's not a lot of time to do different things but every time it came down to it i knew i would say 90 of the time it was the match was for somebody else so at the top of it, like, hey, we lost two minutes in the first segment. All right, take my thing out, take my amateur wrestling out, take my one false finish out, and then let's make this guy look that much stronger, going into break, whatever. And there is, at a point, there becomes an issue with that. But 19 years later, it's it's too late so, to go back and fix it. But it was a thing where it's like, uh, I got yelled at by Arnie Anderson, like, why aren't you doing this amateur wrestling stuff that nobody else is here doing? Gable's doing it now and, and fantastically, but... At the time, nobody was. And I go, well, I had a four minute match. They cut two and a half minutes out of it, and it's for the other guy. So when it came down to like, we cut my entrance, we cut my 30 seconds of getting some cradles and rolling some people up, and we went right into the business for it. So on the live events, sure, I'm doing all those different things, having the best time in the world, and then teaching somebody who's in there with me, here's what you do when they're not, when they're sitting on their hands. Oh, they're ready to go. Here's what we do. And you get 20, 25 minutes to have fun. But TV-wise, you don't, uh, whether you want to or not. Or if it's something, uh, a big special thing, and you go over 30 seconds or a minute, you're taking that away from Roman, it better be good, and it better count. So I'm trying to still find the formula that works, and I'm spent i two matches in so far. So I'll keep it going.
4: Speaking of teaching, I said this when I was in NXT a couple years ago when, excuse me, you'll you'll echo this. You don't get any better. Lars and I have talked about this. If he doesn't play with better musicians, he doesn't get better. He doesn't elevate his game. You don't get better as a wrestler, as a worker, unless you're opposite sides of someone usually locking up with them, which will teach you and, and lead the way. When I was in NXT, I would look up at the main roster when they didn't have anybody leading the new kids. Cause every couple of years they say, we don't need the guys that are mechanics. Let's just get a bunch of new people, which side note, I see the reason sometimes why you train someone from scratch instead of instead of getting bad habits, but, Back to my point of, I would look at Bobby Roode and Bobby Roode was handled so beautifully in NXT when they brought him in the robe, the glorious, everything. And he would, and this was before you two had tagged, they put that together. So I'm really talking about three years ago. And I said, why don't you just get him? They're not doing anything with him right now. Why don't you bring him down to NXT and have him teach these guys. I'm sure he might not mind it, actually. He could have longer matches, etc. Um, I was told, money situation, I don't know. It just wasn't done. But in the time, in the last year or so, or co- last couple of years, you and Bobby went down to NXT, then you got to work longer matches. I, yeah. mistaken, correct me if I'm mistaken, but did you hold the NXT title for a second? Sorry, my, yeah. my yeah, injury, yeah. But, but but yeah. But how did that feel to you to grab yeah. someone young yeah and teach and walk them through and learn and like like actually you you are the ring general completely right here not that you weren't uh, before but you know what i'm saying
2: yeah no no I, uh, real quick before i even get into that uh rude's rude's the man uh he's so good and un- unlike me he's gonna be perfect in a producer role because yeah. i can't do that <laughs> i can help behind the scenes and when someone comes up to me after the match afterwards or i can pull somebody aside and say hey this one little thing i saw that i love that um Rude is an uh, an actual grown-up, so he can wear the suit (laughs) and do anything else. I can't do any of that stuff. Uh, I haven't had a real job since I was 20 or something, but still. Uh, It it was great, too, because a lot of times you go, hey, we're, we're really looking forward to you helping this guy out. And it's like, they're half bullshitting you because they just want you to let him get more in a match. In this situation with NXT, it was genuinely, we love this Steiner kid. Uh-huh. he's there with a bunch of young guys. Can you go help? And it was a genuine ask. I go, Oh, hell yeah. I love this. And Bob with me. So we can even just putting things together. Bob can like uh, uh, root get at a point, and, or let, uh, if I can't explain it good enough, you know, Steiner could be like, what about this? And he's like, here's why we're doing this and here all these different pieces. And then actually being in the ring, actually having a televised match and then having the time. That's not three minutes. You have 19 minutes or something You're like great. And my absolute favorite part is when you have those time matches, it's the main event of the show. There's no overrun uh, like you used to have. You get the real show. And that really makes you want to go in there and go, not, not only just the psychology, not only we're doing this for a reason, and here's why we're countering this to have this payoff later. When you get to a point of, hey, uh, the match before you went four minutes heavy. Sorry. Your 19 minutes is 14 and a half. And what we need you to do is at 9.59.59, Get somebody's arm raised in a logo. No problem. Got it. Or even the best third, the second or third segment of the show, you know, hey, we mistimed it. There's a minute and a half to go, and we have to get off the air and you have to accomplish these three goals. That's when it gets exciting for me. So, like, that's my third, like, hey kid, we're skipping all this bullshit. Here's what we're going with. Spear me out of my boots. All right, here we go. And then that's the exciting part. because uh, I did <laughs> the first time we went to uh SmackDown on Fridays. We had a, uh, they go, guys, remember this is the first time in a long time. There is no overrun, no overrun. So it's like a tag or a six man. And it's going to be Roman spearing me, obviously. And then one, two, three, uh, arm raise, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, but they were extra nervous. Like, guys, remember there's no overrun. There's no overrun. like, I'm coffee all day. Tell Michael Hayes to shut the hell up. I got it. Don't worry. We got to a thing and there's a bunch of moving parts. And there is 30 seconds to go before it goes to black. And Roman's diving on us, and he's still got to pick up bodies, bring him in the ring, get to another spot, get to a spear, get his arm raised, get the three count. And I go, holy shit. I, uh, he jumps on me, but I get up and go, we got to go now in the ring, spear, finish. And he, he, I roll him in, we just go, and it's spear, and the ref on the bump down, the ref follows us with the one, two, three. And as he's pulling his hand off, we go black. And so we just barely got it. Yeah. I, I was a little too cocky that day. We, but if it's me and another guy, I can take care of it. It was like six people. But uh, Michael Hayes let me have it. He's like, you told me you got it. I'll figure it out. And I go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'm like, we got it in. We got the arm raised and the logo half second before it went dark. But it's those things like that and being able to have that moment of, hey, I know you planned on getting six cool moves in. Here's the important part. And you're all doing it while you have five seconds to whisper to somebody on the fly as you're going. That's when it gets so exciting for me. And that's, I think, while I was the break in case of emergency on the wall because, hey, somebody's got a world title match and somebody got a concussion. Boom, he can be in there and uh, he, I can be in there and make it happen. And one, somehow have it be believable because of the equity, but also I can talk to this person. I can set up everything. I can help anything that goes down. That's why I'm there.
3: You know, uh, so one of the things I've always been curious about when you're down at OVW, you're, you're wrestling under your your real name, <laughs> Peter Nesmith.
2: <Yeah. laughs> Alone, surviving. I wonder how long it was going to take to get to the monkeys reference. Yeah, I take the last train. To, Clark, to Louisville. To Louisville.
3: <sighs> you, you, you had to call Davy Jones. You're like, look, bro, it's <laughs> not working out for me. I'm going pro wrestling. But no, okay. So you're down at OV, OVW. You've used a real name. You that you get brought up and now you're given this Dolph Ziggler thing. Be honest. When 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 you first heard the name, what are you thinking? Heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken.
2: Uh and I'm heartless. So too. It, it was it was I had to get a heart and then smash it in front of myself. So um I get a call. I, I hope I remember this right. I get a call on a Saturday night after an OBW show. Hey, um you're debuting on Monday. Your name is David Diggler. Um, <laughs> oh. You thought, yeah, Dolph Ziggler was bad, yeah. So <laughs> your name's David Diggler. We're not exactly sure what you're doing, but just bring your gear. I'm like, what? David Diggler? They're like, what, do you have a problem with that? I go, man, that's that sucks. Um, <laughs> why is that the name? Uh, they go, well, we needed a name with the same consonant. On it. I go, my name's Nick Devin. We're going the reality era. It's NN. I'm like, what? What? They go, no, you can't use a real name anymore. I go, all right. So they go, all right, we're going back in to talk to Vince in 15 minutes. You got 15 minutes to pitch him something else. So I text everybody in my phone. Guys, I need a double D name. And so my dad's name was Don. I pit. I wrote. had that down there. I had uh, Dolph from Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> I pitch all these different things. And uh, they go, uh, it's probably going to be David Diggler, but we'll see on Monday. So I get there. It's, uh says Dolph Diggler. And then I'm like, what? And uh, so I find Vince uh, for the first time in my life and bump into him and say, sir, uh, we just went to reality-based. We got John Cena, Randy Orton. This says David Diggler or Dolph Diggler. I go, my name is Nick Nemeth. You can Google my name. Uh, I broke these records. I would love to be the best possible reason that you have like legitimacy in this new era. And he goes, nope, nope. (laughs) Dolph Diggler stands out. That's it. And he walked away and I went, okay here we go but it was
3: uh it was wow
2: it, it was heartbreaking wow. because uh yeah I, they had told me um a couple uh before before even the spirit squad stuff they said we really like you're an amateur wrestler uh at the time a lot of people they were very uh batista had a bunch of tattoos so uh, much like randy a bunch of people were doing tattoo stuff and they go you don't have any tattoos you're an amateur wrestler you clean cut kid we want you to be uh kurt angles understudy and i'm like this is a dream come true. Wow. This is the best. And then you get a call that says you're David Diggler and we don't know what the hell you're doing. And you go, ah, you know, what am I going to do? But you, uh, yeah. now it's weird to hear people say Nick. Cause I heard doll for 20 years.
1: You know, um, after hearing that story, I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit towards your stand up comedy routine, uh, i'm huge uh into the stand-up comedy i have, i guess i like the kind of the knower name guys like um uh god who do i like I'm, now i'm blanking but give me a second there's so as no I,
2: name that you can't even think of them. that is
1: hardcore <laughs> uh, give give me a second i, w- I want to get my question out before i start name dropping comedians that i like and forget about my question but uh <laughs> You know, you you were doing all this stuff while in WWE. You kind of stepped back, focused on your career. Now that you're on the indie scene, is this something that you're going to dive back into? Because I I enjoyed you on the roast battle three, I believe it was. If I'm, I, I if forget I'm... which
2: one, but yeah, I, I was I was very lucky. I got to do a, a roast battle on Comedy Central with uh, Sarah Tiana, who is someone that um, a, a, a headliner around the country. And we just became friendly just from hanging out at the comedy store in LA and, um, me weaseling my way into comedy shows I shouldn't have been on. And we, we set up a thing where she was like, well, you have this following, you're trying to figure it out. And we have a good camaraderie. Let's do a thing where I'm middle for you. And I do 30 minutes. And since you only have 10, we'll do that. We'll have an opener. I'll do the, the big chunk of it. We'll get you in the main event, uh, because that's, likely what the people are there to see and then we have good camaraderie and then we'll do like a 20 minute Q&A and a we will kind of riff and play off each other and it slowly melted into this like really fun show that we were selling out uh it was pretty cool and I'm doing this all while <clears throat> I didn't <clears throat> step back from WWE I just they weren't using me on all live events so I said I don't know what else I can do here to grow I'd be ready to go I could wrestle for the world title on Sunday if you want me to but Thursday, Friday, if I'm not booked, I'm going to book something, uh, you know, at the comedy store. So I got into that. I'm, I'm at like, uh, when we first started, I think seven, eight minutes of my 10 because I ran through it all nervous, didn't know what the hell I'm doing. And we got to a point where after a couple of years, we could do, I would check my schedule. And even if I go, if I got a call last minute um, in New York to go somewhere the next day, I could still be okay. So I would do a comedy show on Wednesday, Thursday, something like that unless it was blatantly blocked off or everything. So we had a fun time. And after a few years, we got to a point where she was only doing about 15 or 20 in the middle. I'm doing 15 or 20 at the end. And then we have all these different pieces that go with it. And I think by the time we did our last show together, I was doing about 30 minutes. I wouldn't say it's a tight, awesome, you know, for tonight's Show. But it was 30 minutes of stuff that and I could modify it to where if I came out, And didn't see a bunch of wrestling shirts in the crowd. I could tell Chipotle jokes or Tinder jokes. But if I walk out there and it's just WWE shirts, I go, okay, so here's the thing about Brock Lesnar or something like, you know, just uh, basing it on the crowd, very much like wrestling, where they, hey, man, they're not buying any of this. Let's switch it up. Like that kind of thing. So, and I go, this can only make me better improv wise and make me a better wrestler. So I'm helping myself out. I'm not, I'm not falling down or doing headlocks. And still getting uh, more comfortable on the mic, getting more experience, and then always be ready to go in case you know uh, the writing on the wall looks like I'm there to help everybody else out. Let me start doing some other things so I can be constantly trying to evolve in some type of renaissance man. Where I can go do a movie if you want me to. I can do a TV show. I can go on Fox News and talk politics. I could do stand-up comedy. I can tell you about uh, NASDAQ that morning. I can tell you why our stock is trading at 2020 instead of 1950. And so when you can do all these things, you go, I'm doing all this just to be the best possible WWE superstar. And whether they want to or not, I'm bettering myself while I do it.
1: And to kind of follow up guys like Ryan Sickler for me, Jimmy Pardo, two huge guys I'm a big fan of. Do you listen to a lot of comedy podcasts? Are you even a podcast listener guy?
2: I almost listen to zero, like
1: zero. If someone tells me something,
2: I go, (laughs) huge respect for everybody that's involved, uh, no, he, only
3: just, listens, I, he only I, I listens he only listens to the monkeys circa <laughs> yeah. 1961
2: I have to 67. A
1: 33 record and it's just uh yeah it's the <laughs> <laughs> <Your> famous podcast <laughs> <laughs> last to talk
2: girl pod I, I listen to nothing and if someone goes hey I want you to listen to this this uh podcast I'll be like with our phones now I go screenshot the video and or the 90 seconds of audio because I'm not doing it um uh, I really don't but I I do this is a favorite thing for me because I got to uh there was a I think Netflix gave out about 5,000 comedy specials a couple of years ago and 4,987 of them. I was like, a couple minutes in and I go, what can I do to find something better? So comics that I liked or didn't know, I would follow on Instagram. I don't do TikTok, which is probably the better way to find them. But I, if I saw somebody putting a 30 or 90 second bit out, I go, oh, that's pretty good. New follow. Great. Okay. Hey, they're appearing at this show. Great. Oh, they're on this guy's podcast. Well, maybe I'll find out one day. So, I would do all these different things, and there's people that I bumped into in New York that were doing like Sam Morrill. He's really funny. Uh, I love him. And it's just there's so many people out there doing things, and I don't really do the YouTube people. I don't really know them. But maybe I'm probably the generation that's a little bit too old for that. So, the TikToks and YouTube is not for me, but people that are 20, 30, 35, 40. I'm following them on Instagram, and then you find them out, and then you watch their sets, or you can find their and I go, that's who I'm gonna go find their uh, Netflix stand-up special or something else because I was getting kind of turned off by a, a lot of them, sadly.
4: <laughs> I've got pure wrestling questions. Finally, yeah, <laughs> I know. you're loving that, right? <laughs> um, I want to ask you about Pat Patterson. Please. Thank you. Um, he went, I was at NXT right after he passed and one of the coolest things, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but we were putting stuff together for the day of TV and all of a sudden on the Tron in, in the little arena, and I'm telling you the world stopped and they put up the, uh, back alley match with Sergeant Slaughter and Pat and all of us, including Hunter, everyone, Regal, we just sat and watched wrestling. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I felt for the people around. I never worked with them Cross paths, of course, at some point, but never worked with them close. Never got to know them. Just know the legend. Give me some some memories of Pat. Man. Anything, anything that pops to mind.
2: Uh, I have so many. I was, uh, man, every time he was there, he would sit in catering and tell me probably the same five or ten stories for ten years in a row, which <laughs> was the best because that, that's it. He's like... He's basically, uh, he's like a, a Bill Murray's character at like the lounge singer, but in real life. And he just, he, he wants everybody to be having fun and he wants to tell a joke to an entire table and then go right into a song. It's it's yeah. very much, I never put that together, the, the Bill Murray's lounge singer. But <laughs> it, it's so perfect because uh, man, he knew, knew so much and he was his was focused so much on psychology and moments and getting crowds to react and we would argue all the time in the best possible way. But it would just, because he would be like, you got to lay there for two minutes and let them feel it. And I go, Pat, the whole match is three minutes. I can't lay there for two. <laughs> so you're, you're trying to like, let him know that it's, you know, it's 20, 20 times, but that psychology and all the stuff that he has. And the one thing he yells at you about, you think you have a perfect match and you come back and he goes, what the hell was that? And he go, ah, and it was the best because I knew he was, it was coming from a, wh- whether we yelled at each other or not, it was coming from a, uh, I want you to be the best. And the only way to do it, you got to get yelled at. And you're like, okay, got it. I love that. And it just, and something he made clear very few, uh, several times before we got really closer was he goes, I don't care if I like you as a person or hate your guts. There's something there with you. And I'm trying to bring it out to make it this much better for the whole show. So he goes, if I hated your guts, I would still do the same thing. And then that's, but we were becoming friends as we did it. But man, every time, and the the most famous line that I, luckily he stopped using on me after about a thousand times and would just, I watched him do it about 10,000 times was in catering, he's in the middle of telling me a story. Someone will come in to interrupt and he'd be like, oh, hey, it's you. You know who was asking about you? And they're like, oh, who? He goes, nobody. <laughs> and I watched him do that about 10,000 times and laugh his ass off. And even some people, he had done it to 10 or 15 times over the course of these years. (laughs) I knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. And we would have tears in our eyes laughing. Uh, And there's a million other jokes that I can't repeat right here. But it would be the best. Like, he wants to have a good time. He wants to be on stage. He wants to be a wrestler for the rest of his life. And he was. And that's what he would go on cruises just to do karaoke and tell jokes in between because he wanted to be on. he, He has that thing that we all have in our heads of like, I want everyone looking at me doing what I'm doing and I'm great at it. And isn't this great? Like everyone else came up here and sang songs. I'm telling jokes and act like Johnny Carson in between. <laughs> isn't my show better? And it's because we have this thing in our minds that we have to be great at it and have everyone look at us. And it's just, uh, I I got to be really close with him for the last man 10 years there, maybe. And it was so good to when something special happened and you could come back and I could still get yelled at, but he would still say, Hey, you got this thing here and this thing there. And it just, it makes you that much better long-term when you're like, not only do I want it, this to be awesome. Not only do I want this to steal the show tonight and then have Vince go, why is it this guy, the world champ? You got to go back and explain to Pat Patterson who has done everything in his business. And he's sitting there like this. And you got to explain to him why you didn't do something that you both knew made sense. So you got that in the back of your head. And when you get there and then everybody would sometimes get that applause in gorilla. And sometimes it's bullshit. And sometimes because the guy you're in the match with is their guy or something, or it's the real one where they go, that was awesome. And you get those applause and you're high five and everybody, and you get a big hug from Pat. And then he'd be like, we're going to talk later. You got to think you fuck, uh, messed up. sorry, <laughs> And you go, damn it. And you're like, okay, great. And you just have that moment of <sighs> you're never good enough in a positive way. Because you're like, how do I get back there and fix that one little piece this time? And then when I do, there's some other little piece. And it's just a perfectionist. I want to stand out. I want to be the best. And you have it. And you'll come back. And every once in a while, you get that big high five or the hug. And then uh, or it'll, it'll cut you some slack and wait a day and be like, hey, listen, watch this part. You kind of mess it up. You're like, damn it. And it's, uh, it's great. To, you're always learning and you're always getting better. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, w- I hated being stale. So doing those things has made it so much better
4: he had an innate ability to have a cigarette in his hand i've never seen a man walk around with no smoke but he was smoking it was amazing
3: yeah. i don't know how the hell he did that i smoked <laughs> i smoked a pack of cigarettes with pat he's the nicest <laughs> guy in the world you know that's amazing <laughs> it's funny it's funny because where i'm at now pat when he was wrestling in san francisco lived lived 5 blocks away i could show you the house you know what i mean um So for my last question, it's kind of a two-part question now, now, and I I want to bring it up into the now, because I know we've been harking back to your career your comedy stuff, but like, let's talk about where you're at now. I know you're only two matches in, uh, I believe you are a contracted wrestler for TNA now. Is that correct? One way or another. Yeah. Well, that was an answer. Um, (laughs) but, uh, one way or another. So. Was there was okay? So, what was part of that decision of going there, choosing them out of everybody? And secondly, is there something at this point now? You, I know you're only two matches in, but you see where wrestling is now. Is there something at this point where you're just like, nah, never gonna do that? Uh
2: so first and foremost, one, I, uh, I I've been planning the last couple years for a while, watching different things. Uh, I famously don't watch wrestling because I was so down on. I didn't. I didn't like what was happening, or what I, what I was doing. Not everybody else's stuff. Just so down on it. I'm like I don't watch it. I'm focusing on being the best possible thing I can do right now. So then I'm thinking about like, haven't been to Japan. I have gone to another company, and I'm thinking of all these different things. And I go, man, TNA. Uh, they're on the verge of a rebrand. They're mm-hmm. they're they're doing this big like starting over moment at this pay per view coming up in a month or two. And uh, I go, man. And there's a bunch of people there saying. This locker room is so tight and so fun. And I and it's hard to find a bad locker room. It's hard to be like, oh, everybody here sucks, but me. Like there, there's nothing like that because we're all so close, because we all trust each other so much. And you get to a point where uh it, it's all close, but when people are going out of their way to text me or call me and uh and say, listen, this is the place where one you can help a bunch of people here, all while being the person with a lot of focus on them. And then you too, you can bring some eyes to the show. And there's all these different little pieces. And I go, man, I can still help. I can still teach, but also I got 20 more years to go. Can I grow here and become even bigger than what I've, everything I've amassed in my past. And I go, this seems like the play. I like Japan. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I can exist. I don't know if I can be good enough. to to hold up there but i go these two places new japan and tna are the two on my radar right now that i think can do something special and then i can be a part of it and grow even bigger for like a bigger audience so i hope a bunch of people who know me from cleveland or follow me a little bit go oh i didn't know new japan had, had a show okay great i didn't know tna has a tv show okay cool And without just thinking of those pieces, just walking into the two different locker rooms, I was blown away. I go, man, there's so many people here. Um, I don't really get anxious or anything, but I go, man, I'd be ready to go. I could wrestle for the world title on Sunday if you want me to. But Thursday, Friday, if I'm not booked, I'm going to book something, uh, you know, at the comedy store. So I got into that. I'm I'm at like. Uh, when we first started, I think seven, eight minutes of my 10, cause I ran through it all nervous, didn't know what the hell I'm doing. And we got to a point where after a couple of years we could do, I would check my schedule. And even if I go, if I got a call last minute, um, in New York to go somewhere the next day, I could still be okay. Cause I would do a comedy show on Wednesday, Thursday, something like that, unless it was blatantly blocked off or everything. So we had a fun time. And after a few years, we got to a point where she was only doing about 15 or 20 in the middle I'm doing 15 or 20 at the end. And then we have all these different pieces that go with it. And I think by the time we did our last show together, I was doing about 30 minutes. I wouldn't say it's a tight, awesome, you know, for tonight's show, but it was 30 minutes of stuff that, and I could modify it to where if I came out and didn't see a bunch of wrestling shirts in the crowd, I could tell Chipotle jokes or Tinder jokes. But if I walk out there and it's just WWE shirts, I go, okay, so here's the thing about Brock Lesnar or something like, you know, I just, uh, Facing it on the crowd, very much like wrestling. Where they, like, hey man, they're not buying any of this. Let's switch it up, like that kind of thing. So, and I go, this can only make me better improv wise and make me a better wrestler. So I'm helping myself out. I'm not, I'm not falling down or doing headlocks, and still getting uh, more comfortable on the mic, getting more experience, and then always be ready to go in case you know uh, the writing on the wall looks like I'm there to help everybody else out. Let me start doing some other things so I can be constantly. Trying to evolve in some type of renaissance, man, where I can go do a movie if you want me to. I can do a TV show. I can go on Fox News and talk politics. I can do stand-up comedy. I can tell you about uh, NASDAQ that morning. I can tell you why our stock is trading at 2020 instead of 1950. And so when you can do all these things, you go, I'm doing all this just to be the best possible WWE superstar. And whether they want to or not, I'm bettering myself while I do it.
1: And to kind of follow up, guys like Ryan Sickler for me, Jimmy Pardo, two huge guys. I'm a big fan. We're
2: going here. All right. Des Moines, Iowa, this guy. Okay, I saw that clip of him online. I think I can make something work with him. But, man, a lot of it is emailing with people you don't know, scary stuff. And uh, and I'm really excited because I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think I can go. I'm in the best shape of my life. Um, I've been very lucky. I think I missed three weeks of work in 19 years. So, I'm ready to go and like, like I would say you can see the arm standing up on my hair, but you can't. But it's I've been sitting around for months waiting to wrestle, and I can't wait to do something like one or two shows. Great! Now
3: I'm ready to go. Like, let's get into it. You
1: know? Lars,
3: you know what? I had another question, but then it left. Um, <laughs> so please, please carry on, Ace. But I, but I, it's coming back. Just go on, Ace. Go on.
4: Bringing up the Indies, uh, I, I think it's an interesting thing that when you leave a ring you've been in for 20 years, let's just say, now you have to walk out and take a look at the ring and look for the holes in the ring, check the ropes.
2: Uh-huh.
3: How does that
4: feel? That's part of the nervousness, I'm sure. Like oh, That, that th- is,
2: I mean, and that's one piece of it. Like, there's so many other ones. Like, sure. oh, there's no locker room. Make, uh, make sure you bring tape. What, like,
3: yeah, I'm very yep.
2: spoiled, but but I've been very lucky for the last two years to get pieces here and there. And it's like, I know to bring tape, I know to uh, hey, show me that move on somebody else first, brother, <laughs> you know, like that. Like, uh, you're describing it, it sounds like a Mortal Kombat finisher, but I'm not really sure, like, okay. And then um, <laughs> it, it genuinely is walking, like, uh, hmm. I was hidden for that, uh, the TNA pay per view hard to kill, so I didn't even get to check the arena, see what the ring was like, nothing. Yeah. So the next day, we're going over some stuff. We go to TV taping, and I'm very used to putting my body out there on the WWE's posts, which have a plastic thing or like hard plastic that you smack yes. into and it hurts, but you get a lot of noise. And I took a post. Uh, I think it it comes out on Thursday, and it's just a steel pipe. And I go. And I go, oh, I didn't even get any noise. So I go, ah. <laughs> and uh, I go, okay, I know that. Uh, you, you check, exactly like you said, you check around the ring. Like, oh, is there some pointy thing that's going to rip my head open when I take a turnbuckle? Yep. And it doesn't apply to, to TNA stuff, but it is a different section. But when you start doing independence, you do go, okay, there's no steps to get up there. How do I do this? Oh, the ring ropes are what. Right. oh, this one's loose and it's coming off. And you Uh, very much. I was in my comfort zone for a long time, but I learned to be like, I need to check all these things out. You really do. It's a, it's a real reality check. But if I didn't have that group chat, Zach Ryder, Brian Myers, a couple other guys, sorry. Uh, He'll try and sue me or something. Um, If I didn't have that, I would, I would be coming in 100% blind and going, Oh, sure. This seems fine. And uh, having that in your back pocket, uh, just, help from your friends is, is
3: huge. And I'm going to fall on them 2,000 more times in the next six months. Sure. Well, I know we're running uh, low on time and we got to wrap this up. So I'm going to keep it simple with my last question. And it's just, you can just simply answer it yes or no. I You sound like a very calculated individual as you should be in this business as any performer should be. And I'm sure there might be a, a plan if you're in your mind, Oh, maybe I'll go back up north and finish it off there. Would your name? Would that have a factor going back? Hmm, that's interesting.
2: Um, I don't think so. I, I, uh, I am calculating. I'm planning out the next couple of years. Uh, but the next few years uh, really don't involve New York in any way, shape, or form. So it's not a. Um, I'm gonna do this just so. They want me back. It's I'm uh, I asked to leave because I I feel feel like in the position I'm in, there's nothing more to accomplish. So even if the world becomes set on fire, but how awesome I'm doing um, it's not to be like, see guys. Oh, it is, is it see guys, but it's not to say, see guys, I'm coming back. It's just to, this is a totally different chapter of my life. I'm looking to do this for the next 15, 20 years, if I can make it work. Uh, And as much as I do calculate and, and, uh, I'm really thinking about all the moves. Uh, that's absolutely not one, but the the name is interesting. Like, yeah, what would I do when I go back there? Like, do I become Cactus Jack and come out and uh, come back as Mick McBoley and come back out as? Uh, <laughs> well,
3: I mean, because I mean, here's here's the the reality of of the situation is is that you're pound for pound one of the best pro wrestlers out there, straight up, and you're gonna be a name with your real name and make waves with that. You already have it's already a proven factor. As a matter of fact, I think you're way more palatable to people because of the name. Yeah. You know, I feel, I feel like honestly, Dolph Ziggler, even though you made it work because you know, you, you, you have that talent. That was your biggest detriment. And that's just my opinion, you know, of a wrestling fan watching wrestling for 40, 50, 50 years, really. So it's like, I'm well, 40, Let's not myself <laughs> too much, but but you know what I'm saying? It's it's and it's I and I'm very opinionated. I don't really care because I can back it up. But my point is is that like that was like the one detriment to everything ever. Like a, a, a collegiate wrestler who <laughs> was a, a supreme badass. Like yes. like if I'm gonna get in a fight out in the street, I'm gonna call you because I know you're gonna just tackle <laughs> some dude and it's gonna be over in five seconds. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's like yeah. like if if it was me, I'd be like Blow me! It's it's <laughs> Peter nesbitt Anyways, <laughs> I, I digress. <laughs> I digress.
2: No, uh, I. As much as that name was, I think it was just to stand out. And he, here's what my thinking really quickly was: Vince, or or the team, or whatever, was like, the guy's height. He doesn't really know anybody. We don't have anything for him. He's not a legacy. Blah blah blah. He's not coming from the independence of doing a certain thing. He goes. uh, I'll give him a name that stands out. He's probably a fast learner, but the height of his extent will be wrestling on superstars and helping somebody win and go do something else. So I feel like that's what the plan was. And very quickly, I hope, it was realized that, like, oh, he's a fast learner. He's really good, and he can do some special stuff. And quickly, I was into some things, but you can't just go, oh, I mean – you can go, hey, Kofi doesn't have a Jamaican accent anymore. Anyway, here we go. And you, you can do something <laughs> like that. But uh, there was a point where I was like, hey, do you think that we're actually doing something with me now? Instead of just like having me get beat up, maybe you could switch a name or give me a moniker. And you're like, nope, it stands out. That's it. So I, to- so it wasn't just the name that was a little bit of a detriment. I think no matter what, it was the part where I lost 96 matches out of 100 every time. I feel like well, that's the bigger dagger yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah, but
3: but if you were to come back
2: is rough, but I lost so many
3: matches. (laughs) But I I think people can look over that. I think real true wrestling fans that see what you bring to the table can overlook that. I I would just think because in today's modern world where you don't have a Vince McMahon at the helm, you've got an actual wrestling guy who understands that it's pro wrestling. I mean, we're hearing things on that TV show we haven't heard for twenty five years why it sucked a lot of that time so it's like now it's making this turn and it's actually real believable stuff because there's a wrestler you know calling the shots I would if I'm a wrestler it's like a musician see another musician I can go Phil Demmel is a great fucking guitar player Kerry King is a great guitar player Steve Whale is a great guitar player you know what I'm saying Dolph Ziggler is a great wrestler you know what I mean like you know obviously you're not that guy, but you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'm going to bring him in because I know what his value is on a wrestling thing. You know what I mean? Cause that's yeah. what it seems like they're valuing people now, not just entertainment. Look at us, you know, right. the Miz and things like that. Like, you know, I mean, if you look at it, it's becoming more of this real thing now. So that's why I say it, but you no, know, I, I just,
2: that makes sense. I get that. And I, and I like, I, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate as hell. Uh, I can, do amateur wrestling with somebody and I could do sports entertainment or I can find a mix based on the show, based on the situation. Uh, I love that I, I'm able to do that because of all the experience that I got in New York and everything that I got to learn, learn it from Pat, learn from some of the greats. And it just, uh, I was spoiled with my, my learning. So I, I think I have a lot to give either way, but I totally understand what you mean. Like I, uh, I think it'll be, it's funny. It's funny hearing my real name. Uh, so <laughs> I, I've been focusing on, I just say wanted man. because I got this trademarked. I, I want it to be big because hearing my like name that. now is, is so odd to me because that the first 10 years of hearing Dolph Ziggler, I'm like, what? But now I get to <laughs> a point my, they're TNA, they're chanting Nick. And I go, oh man, I don't, that's going to take some time to get used to it. And it's so weird. That's a name I was fighting for for 20 years, but having all that <laughs> experience and, the, and knowing where you, you can help no matter what the situation, whatever your name is, it doesn't matter. People know, we know you, we know what you can do. Can you come help our place? And I go, you bet your ass I can. Yeah.
1: Where can people find you? Do you have any upcoming bookings? Stay out of my house.
2: house. I'm uh, sorry about
1: that, by the way. <laughs>
2: New security. It's all, it's all set. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> I'm so sorry. What are you at? Like social media stuff?
1: Yeah, sure. I I did have my monkeys 45. I was trying to get autographed in all fairness so I didn't, I didn't need to overstep that boundary between us. <laughs> awesome.
2: uh, yeah, I, I took so it. So, um, right after, um, I got released WWE, I took a little break from social media, which was, uh, awesome. I still like read all my news on there. It just, it was, it was nice to take a little break and now I get to promote, uh, TNA or new Japan stuff that I'm doing. So yeah, uh, it's at Nick Nemeth and at Nick T Nemeth, uh, Currently, because uh, <laughs> on Twitter, I was at Heel Ziggler for about 15 years, and somebody else has my name. So, got a little T in there. So, at Nick T. Nemeth on Twitter, and uh, at Nick Nemeth on uh, Instagram. And uh, in between jokey fun stuff, I just, you know, hey, come check out uh, TNA Thursday nights on Access TV. And then I'll, I'll put, like, a picture of Fletch or something on there, or <laughs> Guns N' Roses or something. All
1: right. Uh, guys, this it was a great podcast. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come talk TNA, independence, everything you have going on, Nick. Uh, Lars, Ace, anything before we end this?
4: I just want to say I you know, appreciate that you're out in the world teaching the generation now. A lot's gotten lost in quite a few years. There's not a lot of leaders out there. I hope to see the people you lead excel to the next level because that's what's needed for our business. So I appreciate you.
2: Hey, uh, thanks. And that's the goal. Like it's, it's so weird uh, to a point. I'm a little unselfish, but I, I want to be awesome. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to kick ass, but I want to bring some others with me and I want to get back and I want to tell Moose, this is why we're doing this. You see this? When I'm gone, you... <laughs> yeah. And it just, and then one day he's going to be telling somebody, this is why we're doing it. And I go, that's exactly it. This is great. My legacy won't just be titles or winning or being known. It's, I gave back, and everybody's better for it since I was there.
4: Indeed.